Uh, Let's move on now to the reading and proclaiming of God's word. My name is Bob. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you, I hope I get to meet you after the service. And uh, as we begin, I want to ask this question. Why church? Why put up with being a part of Christianity? Peter's original readers were likely asking this question. Um, Peter addresses them as exiles and sojourners, and it's quite possible that he wasn't just meaning metaphorically. It's quite likely that these were a group of Christians who had been exiled from the city of Rome by Emperor Claudius and sent to the far reaches, the frontier of the Roman Empire, uh, on the northern coast of modern-day Turkey. They weren't wanted by Rome. They weren't liked by Rome. They certainly weren't wanted by the new people there, all because they were known as Christians. There is something costly for them in identifying with Jesus. There almost always is. So why do it? Why be a part of the church? Think about that as I read from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received God's mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. God, we're grateful for your word, and we uh, beg that you would be here present by your spirit, uh, that, Holy Spirit, you would help me to proclaim what you have for us in this passage, but more than that, you would help us all to hear uh, what you have for us in this passage and apply it to our hearts that we might believe the gospel, that we might encounter and see Jesus in this time. We are grateful for him, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. I became a Christian pretty randomly in high school. Uh, My family wasn't a church-going family, and so I just kind of tagged along with my best friend to the church that he was going to. And I enjoyed going to worship, but I hated Sunday school. And I in no way would participate in any kind of youth groups. Christian community in general made me feel funny, awkward. I, I didn't fit in, and I didn't want any part of it. And so when I went away to college, I still continued trying to attend worship as college students try, uh, but I didn't participate in any of the college ministries. I visited all of the Christian uh, campus organizations, and they all turned me off. Now, our campus organization, RUF, wasn't there yet, but I don't know how I would have felt. (laughs) I don't know how I would have felt about that either. See, I was a Christian, but I refused to identify with Jesus' people. I was a church attender, but in no sense was I really a member of a church body. 
And that set me up for lots of tough challenges, lots of self-betrayal in my college years and the year after college, uh, a lot of unforced errors. Christians and Christian community honestly just seemed so dorky and out of touch. It felt like social suicide to be associated with them. It's just impossible. I had so little in common with them, it felt like. So it was too hard and too costly to attempt. Now, Peter's original listeners here were facing the costs of being considered Christians, of being a part of Christian community, costs that would make anyone question whether they wanted to be a part of the church. And if you asked modern uh, non-Christians today in our culture, you know, what are your hesitations about Christianity? At the top of their list probably would be Christians themselves. Oftentimes, the church can appear to be its own worst enemy. And so we're going to look at what Peter says here about the church by asking three questions. What's the matter with the church? Why should I care about the church? What's the point of the church? And easily enough, all three questions have exactly the same simple answer. Jesus. Jesus is the point of the church. Jesus is why I should care about the church. And Jesus is what's the matter with the church. So, first point, what's the matter with the church? Jesus. Now, that might sound controversial, but really it's not. It's as simple as this. If Jesus was rejected, so will his people be. If you're here, you're a Christian, you might find yourself hesitant to identify with or to name your faith uh, in a work setting or social setting here in Silicon Valley. And I bet it's not so much because you're afraid of being associated with Jesus. I bet it's because you're afraid of being associated with other Christians and the church. See, nowadays, people like to say nice things about Jesus, and they contrast him with Christians, modern Christians, and the modern church. Just like what Gandhi said, I I put his quote in the front of your bulletin, Gandhi said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. And sure, no one comes close to the compassion, kindness, love, and righteousness of Jesus. But it's silly to think that the world would embrace Jesus today if he came to it like he did 2,000 years ago. When Jesus walked the earth 2,000 years ago, nearly everyone ganged up on him to destroy him. The few people who loved him ran when they needed him the most. One of his closest friends betrayed him. His closest friend denied him three times. He's the guy who wrote this letter. And Peter here says in just these few short verses that Jesus was rejected, shamed, dishonored, a stumbling block, and offensive to the world. Why was he rejected and offensive to the world? Because his words and actions challenged and threatened the very foundations of power and status in his world, religious, social, political, so much so that he was crucified for it. People who hated each other joined forces, Pilate and Herod, the Romans and Israel, Pharisees and Sadducees. They came together to give Jesus the most gruesome, shameful death known at that time. And so this is one of Peter's primary points throughout his letter, one of his primary principles, like Savior, like people. This is how his passage begins in verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. 
Jesus is a living stone, and those who believe in him are being drawn to him. They also are living stones. The problem is that Jesus, as a living stone, was rejected by men. Well, what does that mean, then, for the believers who are also living stones? They will be rejected, shamed, dishonored, a stumbling block, and offensive to the world. Not because Christians by nature are necessarily terrible and hypocritical, but because the way of Jesus is opposed to the way of the world. When Jesus walked the earth, he was not considered lovely or beautiful. Why would the church be considered otherwise if it's being made like him? Jesus was denied any status. Why would we think the church would enjoy anything better? Now, this was my problem, right? There was no status involved in participating in Christian community. There was no social capital to be gained. Christians just seemed like awkward people I couldn't connect with. And why was that? Because that's who Jesus is drawing to himself to show the world that it's going in the wrong direction. See, as humans, we all want to associate with people, groups, organizations, movements that will enhance our status, our identity, our self-esteem somehow. And the church won't do that for you. Right? Except in a few locations around the world, most places in the world, particularly the Bay Area, being a part of the church or Christian community will not enhance your status. And Jesus designed it that way for a purpose. Because the problem with the world is that we are always trying to build ourselves up. Right? We're always building our brand. The way the Bible talks about it is making a name for yourself. That's the way of death. And so Jesus identified with us in our rebellion and sin against God. He took upon himself our shame, our judgment. He lost all of his status, comfort, and privilege to represent us, to rescue us, and to show us a different way. And so that's the kind of community Jesus is creating, and he shows it by who he draws to himself. This is how the Apostle Paul explained it to the church in Corinth. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. I was not yet ready to identify with the low and the weak and the foolish. But that's how Jesus came, and that's who he identified with. And that's the hallmark of Jesus' ministry. And not just the weak and the shameful and the social outcast, also the sinner. Jesus ate and drank with sinners. And this was incredibly scandalous in first century Israel. Jesus had dinner with terrorists, traitors, oppressors, prostitutes, scoffers of the Mosaic law. Why? To save the lost. So church should be a place where there are actually some really bad sinners. It's not a place exclusively filled with people who look like they have it all together and are lauded by the world around them. Jesus came and he said, look, the healthy don't need a doctor, it's the sick. I've come to call the sinners to repentance. And so Jesus is in the business of saving sinners and the lowly and the humble. Those are the people he is drawing into community and that's the problem with the church. Jesus and his ministry. 
The church is filled with annoying, embarrassing, obnoxious, unkind, unskilled, unwanted people. And I didn't want to admit I was one of them. But this is the ministry of Jesus. This is who he is gathering. I have a pastor friend on the East Coast leading a church. He's doing great ministry. And sometimes he has people who attending his church who are just living fairly scandalous lives. He had uh, recently a a current attender uh, who is not a part of any legal industry, but certainly not a reputable one, certainly not family-friendly. And sometimes, you know, the proper people come and complain to this pastor about, you know, some of these people who are attending church. And he has a memorized line that he says to people when they complain. This is what he says. If you want to attend a church where noticeable sinners don't attend, then we are not the church for you. Because of Jesus, the church should be a place where noticeable sinners and outcasts gather. By definition, then, the church will be unattractive in the world's eyes. This is how Jesus denied it to shock the world into reconsidering its ways for the church to bear witness against the world that there is a different and better way. If you want honor and status and ease and excellence, you don't want the church. But even worse, you don't want Jesus. That's the second point. Why should I care about the church? Jesus. If you refuse to identify with Jesus' people, you refuse to identify with Jesus. Right? So many people these days don't understand that. They think that they can have Jesus without his church. Maybe you remember the book, read the book, Interview with a Vampire. In the 70s, big hit, lots of sequels. Uh, Anne Rice is the author, became very, very successful, very wealthy. Later in life, she became a Christian. And then, curiously, she stopped identifying as a Christian. She explained it on her blog in 2010. This is what she wrote. Today, I quit being a Christian. I'm out. I remain committed to Christ as always, but not being a Christian or to being part of Christianity. It's simply impossible for me to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. For 10 years I've tried. I've failed. I'm an outsider. My conscience will allow nothing else. My faith in Christ is central to my life, but following Christ does not mean following his followers. Christ is infinitely more important than Christianity and always will be, no matter what Christianity is, has been, or might become. Anne Rice couldn't get over the fact that Christians are sinners and make a mess of things. And recently, with the turn of our culture and politics, a lot of people have been leaving the church. And they would say, you know, it's not so much that they have a problem with Jesus, it's that they have a problem with Christians. They have a problem with the church. But what we read in the New Testament, and actually bleeds back into the Old Testament, is that the church is the bride of Christ. In fact, Peter here even quotes from the Old Testament prophet Hosea, whose marriage was a parable and a metaphor for God's marriage with his people. So let me ask you this. Imagine you uh, call up your friend and you say, hey, you, you want to get together this weekend? Cool, cool. Uh, great. How about Friday night dinner? Is that good? Awesome. Great. Okay, one thing. Um, don't bring your wife. She's terrible. I really dislike her. She's kind of an awful person. Actually, no one likes her. You just leave her at home, Okay. Can you imagine ever doing or saying anything like that? That's what you're doing 
when you announce that you still love Jesus, but you're done with his church because his church is his bride. See, what Peter says here emphatically is that Jesus is making a people for himself. All those who believe in him are a part of his people. You cannot have Jesus without his people or being a part of his people. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. A follower of Christ, by definition, is a part of his community. And I know plenty of people who have left the church, even left Christianity, because they think Christians are the most obnoxious, the most self-righteous, wrong on every political issue, hypocritical. Right? They, they don't want to be associated with them anymore. And what they're saying is, I'm better than those people. Right? They're being exactly what they're accusing Christians of being, what they hate them for, being self-righteous. They're protecting their status, their reputation, their own self-concept. Exactly the things Jesus came to end and rescue us from. That's why you should care about the church. Because opting out, because Christians are so terrible, is cutting yourself off from Jesus. You're saying, I'm better than them. I'm smarter. I'm wiser. I'm kinder. I'm just better. I deserve more consideration than they do. I'm more righteous than they are. And wherever you are saying that in your heart, you are closed off to Jesus. You are walling yourself off from God's grace. If you want mercy, you join the people who need and receive mercy. If you don't want mercy, you don't want Jesus. So all of this took me until through my first year out of college to actually realize that by staying away from God's people, I was actually staying away from Jesus. I remember realizing that. I was at night in bed looking up at the ceiling and just realizing I'm not changing. I'm not growing. I'm not becoming the person I want to be. I continue my self-betrayal. I realized if I wanted Jesus, I had to own his people. And that's what brought me out here just a few months later to begin teaching high school at a Christian school. I just dove in to the deep end of Christian community with all of the awkwardness and weirdness I felt about it. I finally understood the point. Third point, what is the point of the church? Jesus. The church's job is to organize around and point everyone to Jesus, to celebrate his mercy that they're experiencing. This is how Peter puts it in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The point of the church is to never stop talking about God's incredible mercy, to never stop proclaiming about how God took them from darkness to light. That's why Peter says that uh, believers are being built into a temple and are a royal priesthood. What's the job of a temple and a priesthood? It's to help people come to God. It's to help people meet God. And what people are supposed to hear most from Christians about God is his mercy in Jesus Christ. How he saved them and brought them from death to life. Our job here at Grace South Bay, if you are a member of Grace South Bay, our job is to proclaim the excellencies of the one who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to make much of Jesus. 
not to proclaim the excellencies of our righteousness or success or politics or aesthetics or cultural cachet. Some of those things are important. None of them are as important as Jesus. If the world is going to despise us Christians, let us be despised for our love for Jesus and not for anything else. Recently, we all know of people who are leaving churches because of politics, right? From both ends of the spectrum, people on the left and right want churches to be more political, to speak more politically, obviously around different narratives and different policies, but they want more politics. The only reason you should ever leave a church over politics is if politics is eclipsing the mercy of God in importance for them. If the church is proclaiming the excellencies of their politics and policy positions over the excellencies of Jesus. If you leave a church, leave it because they do not make enough of Jesus. Because he's the point. All Christians can do is boast in God's mercy. It's completely undeserved. If we are uh, a temple and priests of God, it is only by his sheer grace. It's not because of anything that we've accomplished or done. Jesus, Peter says, was chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones like him, Christians are chosen and precious as well. Once you were not a part of a people, but now you are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession. You are wanted and not for your performance or your accomplishments. The church is a community where you belong simply because you are loved by God even when you fail. It's not status and perks, but it is love and mercy. Don't you want that? And everyone here, every Christian, every member of the church here has a job and a role as a living stone in his temple. Plato tells a story about a visiting king uh, to the city-state of Sparta. We know Sparta had that military reputation. The visiting king is with the Spartan king and asks the Spartan king, where are the renowned walls of Sparta that he's heard so much about? And there are no walls at Sparta. Uh, And the king of Sparta points to his soldier and he says, these are the walls of Sparta, every man a brick. And that's what Peter is saying about you all about Christians. You are the temple of God. In the church, every man, woman, and child is a brick, a living stone. Every single one uniquely reflects God's mercy in a special way. Every single one is to proclaim the excellencies of the God who saved them. In Jesus, you are chosen and precious, and there is a story to tell about it. You have been brought from darkness into his marvelous light. That's good news. Now, uh, there is a a line here that might have disturbed some of you where Peter says, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Peter talking about the people who rejected Jesus. Now, I've talked about this before. I've addressed election and predestination in other sermons. I can direct you to those uh, if you'd like. The point for us today is that to be a part of the church is by definition to be rescued and brought from darkness to life, to have experienced God's mercy, his unmerited favor. So the church has to offer that same mercy and message to everyone. The church can never conclude that someone is too far gone, that someone has been written out of the script, that they could never believe, because that very thing could have been said about me or you 
What do my high school buddies think of me becoming a Christian? How silly that I'm a pastor now. Look at us. We are living proof. We are exhibit A. No one is safe from God's mercy. No one is safe from God's mercy. So everyone needs to hear about it. And everyone needs to be welcomed into church to hear about it. That's the point of church, to proclaim the transforming, merciful love of God in Jesus. Years ago, I was reading an editorial by a a medical resident who was noting uh, an uptick in suicides among young doctors. And she was sort of talking about what the causes might be, the the isolation, the imposter syndrome, the the needing to look perfect and and brilliant. And she was struggling with that herself, and, and she wrote about a moment of breakthrough for her. She said, it was over dinner of Thai food that I finally opened up. One of my most accomplished colleagues in residency had complimented me on my clinical knowledge a couple of times during the meal. Sick of feeling like a charlatan. I told him about the trouble I was having with collecting clinical data and presenting it in an organized way on rounds. I confessed that I did not think I belonged in the program. He listened thoughtfully and then uttered the three most beautiful words I had ever heard. Dude, me too. That's what church is. A place where everyone can say, dude, me too. Whether you are considered a success and you fear failure or being exposed, or you're already considered a failure and an outcast by the world, dude, me too. The church as an organization, as an institution, has been in existence for 2,000 years, more than any other current organization, right? And it has barely changed. And it is the one organization that is all about people coming to it to not gain more status, but to actually admit their need, to admit their emptiness, to receive mercy from God. It's a place where people can get together and say, dude, me too. I'm an object of God's mercy. I have been loved in spite of my lack of performance and polish. That's what Jesus does. That's the community Jesus is building. That's the point of the church, and that's why you should care about it. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for this good news. We thank you. Uh, that Jesus is uh, not only saving individuals, but he is saving a people for himself, a bride for himself. And I pray that you would help us to uh, receive that and to even celebrate that, uh, that we would love the fact that we have brothers and sisters uh, and that, like them, we are not loved necessarily by the world or, or respected or have status, but that we are chosen and precious in your sight because of Jesus. Help us to receive that and help us to proclaim your mercy and your excellencies to the culture and to the world around us, that they might hear it too. They need it. We need it. We need this good news of Jesus and his mercy. It's in his name we pray. Amen.